Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Dr. Katina Sawyer. And welcome to Thriving at Work, a Worker Being podcast. You can find out more about us on our website, workerbeing.com. You can find us on social at workerbeing or join and support our community at workerbeing.com slash community. Today, we're going to be talking to Dr. Keaton Fletcher. He's an assistant professor of psychology at the Georgia Institute of Technology. He is also the co-host of the Healthy Work podcast and Substack and the PSYOP Top 10 Trends Champion for Trend 9, Employer's Role in Employees' Mental Health. So the top three takeaways from what we learned about in our conversation with Keaton was that leaders' relationships with their followers have a really big impact on their experience at work and their well-being. That's number one. Number two is having a worse relationship with your leader than your peers can be particularly detrimental to your own wellness. And number three, leaders should really be focusing on building high-quality relationships with every single team member that they have. It was a really great conversation. We hope you enjoy the interview. We are so happy to have Keaton here with us today to talk about his research on leader member exchange. So thank you so much for being here. This is a great, great pleasure for us to have you on the show. We know you're a pro podcaster as well. So always good to hear from folks that have experience. Um, And we'd love to just kick things off to hear a little bit more about your background um, and what brought you to studying the topic we're going to be talking about today, which is leaders relationships with followers. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I love this podcast and I'm honored to be a guest. And thinking about what brought me to this topic is really, I've always been interested in leadership, which sounds so trite and cliche. But like, if I think back to a report card in like third grade, (laughs) I think it was Keaton's a good leader, but he really (laughs) needs to learn to be a follower. And so I've just always been interested in leadership. It's been like a part of who I am. And so when I got to graduate school, um, I was really interested in leadership. But my advisor was actually um, a teams researcher. And so I approached leadership through a team's lens and really viewing a leader as part of this team and how a leader impacts a team, not just an individual follower. And that's really what brought me to LMX theory and looking at how leaders and um, their teams interact with one another and have relationships with one another and how those relationships impact each other. And I, there's a lot of questions that were unanswered and that's, you know, ripe for a dissertation. And so that's how I ended up studying. That's awesome. I love it. And I I mean, it's great to find Go ahead. It's great to find a topic that you're passionate about from day one, basically, especially for your dissertation, because it's so much work and so much time they have to put into it. Absolutely. It's um, I have a collaborator who once told me, like, when you're starting a project, think like, can I handle this for the next three years? And this was one of those things where I, you know, I wasn't always excited to work on it. But, you know, even now, like um, getting ready for this podcast, I went back and reread the paper. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. This was <laughs> this was good. I liked this. There's always so. that period of time with a dissertation or any project where you're just like, get it away from me. I never want to think about this again. And then when you go back and look at it, like you're saying, you're like, actually, this is interesting. You just got like a little too close to it. So I'm happy you're in the place now where you're far enough removed that you're back engaged. <laughs> Exactly. So as you know, this is a podcast that really focuses on thriving at work. 
Um, and I'd love to talk a little bit about how these leader relationships um, with their followers actually help followers thrive. So you're talking about all these different relationships um, with different outcomes on how these two groups, leaders and followers, interact. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. I A leader is really one of the main levers an organization can pull. It's the person who is calling the shots, largely in most organizations anyways, of what policies you actually have access to, uh, because we know that supervisor support, for example, or supervisor endorsement of policies um, really determines whether or not you're going to be able to, to use them. We know that leaders can direct resources to their followers in different ways, right? If you have followers that you like because they are your close buddies, they're going to get the good projects. They're going to get the resources they need or the flexibility they need in order to do well in their job. And then also we know that carries over into life outside of work, right? And so leaders play a critical role, not just in, you know, their daily interactions of, I had a conflict with my supervisor or I had a really good conversation with my supervisor or my supervisor's a really good mentor, but also in literally moving tangible resources and projects and um, organizational policies to and from certain individuals. And so that's really where this idea of the relationship between the leader and the follower comes into play because it's not just... I have a leader who is transformational, right? I have this visionary person who inspires me, or it's not just I have a leader who's abusive. It's much more I'm taking into consideration my unique relationship with this leader. And if they like me or if we get along, I'm going to be a lot better off because I'm going to be getting the resources from them. I'm going to be getting the good projects. I'm going to be getting the flexibility I need or access to policies or access to promotions or that visibility that I should be getting. And so it's a much more nuanced um, way of looking at leadership than I think a lot of our theories or a lot of our approaches of just like, I have a good leader or I have a bad leader. It's really about that relationship. And it's that relationship that's really going to be impactful for thriving. Because again, it's so many resources that are at the leader's disposal that you will or will not get access yeah, to based on Yeah, I that think that that's quality. a really important point and I could see that and I know uh you know all of us have read some on leader member exchange theory you're the expert here though so I would love to learn more from your perspective because you know that could go in a really good direction in terms of promoting thriving because I'm getting what I need from the leader it also could go in a bad direction of I'm not in the in group I'm not somebody that the leader sees as being um a close connection and so I'm sort of uh, starved for those resources. And I know in your work, you discuss this idea of leader member exchange relational separation. And I found that really interesting in reading your paper. And so I'm wondering if you might be able to explain to our audience what LMX relational separation is and why that concept is important for well-being. Absolutely. <laughs> well, first, it's a mouthful. So <laughs> I think that's the first thing you have to get over. <laughs> um, but once you, you know, handle the acronym, um, it's really about your relationship in comparison to the other relationships on your team. And so I like to think of it as either the superstar or the weak link um, if you have really high relational separation. So thinking of sort of the average relationship your leader has, so that's that average LMX quality, um, 
where do you stand in relationship to the average? And by definition, most people are probably going to be close to that average, but you might get further away from it. And so if you have really high um, LMX relational separation, it just means that you're far from the average. And that could be because you're a lone superstar. You are their best pal. You are um, the one that stands out, gets all the good projects, or because you're the lone weak link and they're ignoring you. They're not giving you any projects and really creating that out group that consists of just you. And so that's really what LMX relational separation is, is just how far you are from the average relationship in either direction. Um, I was just going to say that I feel really sad for the, the lone person on the end. Um, but I wanted to kind of understand, I mean, I think it makes sense as to why that would impact employees well-being and followers well-being, but like what kind of key things would you highlight as to how having a big separation can impact the wellness of the person that's the outlier, but also the other people on the team. Yeah, that's a really good question. And that was one of the fundamental questions that I tried to answer with um, my dissertation of what is the negative outcome of having this high relational separation? And going into it, there was also the thought of, you know what, it might be awkward to be the lone superstar, right? Your team might harbor resentment against you. And so looking at LMX um, relational separation as sort of a negative thing, regardless of whether you're the lone weak link or the lone superstar. And what we found was that it's really just bad, at least in our context, of newly formed teams in a lab um, to be the lone weak link. That um, being the lone superstar, you're fine. But if you're the lone weak link, you are less satisfied with your leader. You're less satisfied with your team. Your team's less satisfied with you. Um, You are have more uh, negative affects, so you're in a worse mood. And um, you are also more motivated to protect your own resources. So if conflict happens in the team, you're going to fight for yourself. You're not looking out for the team. You're just looking out for yourself, which, again, I think translates into, in our study shows, that translates into how your team feels about you. So certainly being the lone weak link or – and. That's also not really fair to say, right? This is the example is that they're the weak link, but it could be based on non-performance based um, reasons, right? You could be the only person with a low LMX because you're the only woman in a team of all men, right? For example, and which is really unfair, right? And there's some research that's not mine, but that's out there that shows that if these relationships fall along um, more surface level characteristics and it's not rooted in something that's justifiable like performance, then you're going to see these negative outcomes even more so. And so our study, we manipulated it um, experimentally, and so it really fell along lines randomly, which in some ways is good, right? It's not based on gender or race, um, and also the participants couldn't see each other. This was all through chat online. And so um, it was really just about um, the quality of the relationship, but it was also random. And so you're the lone weak link, and you're thinking, but I could be contributing to this team. Like, I, I don't understand why I am. And so then you're seeing really negative outcomes because of this I think Um, whereas in the real world um, it's at least a little bit associated with performance right and it's a chicken or the egg kind of question of is it that the low performers get these low relationships and they're the lone weak links or is it the other way around right the low relationships create low performers and it's probably both Um, all that is to say that being the lone weak link in a team for whatever reason has a lot of detrimental outcomes both to your standing in the team and your relationship with your team and your leader um, and then also your own mental health so I'm wondering uh, if you could kind of explain because I hope that everyone who's listening reads your paper because it's very interesting but um, for folks that uh, won't have uh, the ability to do that. 
Could you explain a little bit about what you had people do to sort of cause these feelings of relational separation in the lab um, and kind of why that might make a difference compared to from comparing the lab setting to what you're saying uh, as you're sort of accumulating evidence in the real world that like, oh, I don't fit in or I'm an absolute superstar. Some of the pros and cons of that as well as like, could you just walk people through your methodology just so they have a sense of what people were going through as they were participating in the study? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, and hopefully if I, if I do a good enough of job, you might cringe when you're in the low LMX condition. I know that I still do sometimes. <laughs> um, so we had people getting together uh, with teams of four with one um, leader who we told them was a leader because of their content knowledge, but it was actually someone who was working for us. And they interacted with each other only through like Gchat. Um, so they were only interacting with each other um, via text. They didn't know who was on their team they used code names that were gender neutral and they had to work together to rank order items to survive on the moon right this contrived scenario but it gets them talking and gets them interacting and to manipulate their lmx um, we had the leader follow a script with the way they interacted with the team and so if you were in high lmx the leader solicited your opinion but in a way where they said like i really value your opinion um, i'm excited to hear about this they also said things that created a sense of similarity so if they asked um like what's your major because these were college students and the person said theater they're like no way me too or um part of the script was what do you do with your downtime and it's like i play golf it's like no way me too um and then when participants did engage with the leader if they're in that high LMX condition the leader would be very um supportive and say like great job really value your contribution. That was a really good idea. I'm super excited to do it. If they were in the low LMX condition, then um, the leader still would solicit their opinion and say, hey, what are you thinking? But then the response would be something like, okay, thanks. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) And that's really it, right? Um, And so it's not abusive. It's not mean. Certainly if there's no other context, but um, when you are the only person in the team where the leader is saying, okay, thanks, got it. When everyone else is like effusive, oh my gosh, great job. I'm so similar to you. I really like that. Good idea. You, you pick up on it. Um, and we had one person and I felt so bad, but she was having a bad day and like she had to stop the study. She's like, I can't do this. I feel uh, like I know it's not even real, Aww. but I have to leave. And so we had to throw out that data, obviously, <laughs> but like... It, that on, as like as a person, I felt bad, but as a researcher, I was like, "Yes, this means it's working." You know, like you can feel <laughs> it, right? Um, and so, it's, in the lab, you really want to do things with like a sledgehammer, right? Of like, I really want to make sure that I'm manipulating this because um, we're really going for cause and effect. Can this do this? And so, we felt really confident that this manipulated LMX. Um, we asked people to report their LMX with their leader across four dimensions. So do you like your leader? Do they make you feel good? Are you loyal to them? Um, Do you respect them? And across all four dimensions, if they were in that high condition, they rated them highly. And if they were in the low condition, they rated them low. Um, And then we use that condition to predict these outcomes. And so compare that to the real world where you're working with teams that are likely um, 
have already existed. They have some sort of history, either with each other or with their leader. And so you really can't tease apart that chicken or egg question. You don't know, are these outcomes because of the relationship with the leader or were they actually predictive of this relationship with the leader? Because that's part of the theory is that this is sort of like a self-perpetuating cycle. And so in the lab, we had people who didn't know each other, who came together, and we used just the leader behaviors to manipulate these perceived relationships because at the end of the day, we're trying to advise managers on what to do. We're saying, hey, you should create these high-quality relationships with your followers. But we didn't have a whole lot of evidence that like the leader could alter these relationships we just have evidence of the relationships and behaviors they're associated with and so we wanted to have that causality here in the lab and we used a sledgehammer through some cold texts (laughs) in the group chat or (laughs) some very warm texts and that's what we showed is that yeah the leader absolutely can make a difference um through those behaviors so can you talk a little bit about those outcomes a bit more so like what are the things that the people were doing when they were the lone, I'm already blinking, the lone, uh, the bad one. <laughs> yeah. That, I don't know um, why I can't think of the The lone weak link, right? The high weak relational link, separation, yeah. but low LMX quality. Um, we see that whenever there was conflict in the team, and conflict happens all the time. It's not always like a knockdown, drag out situation. It's just anytime there's a disagreement of what we should do. And if you're working together as a team to rank order items on that you'll need for the moon, then there's a lot of conflict. Um, and we had these transcripts and had them coded by external raters and coded them for individualistic motivations in conflict. So am I looking out for myself? Am I only promoting my view or am I avoiding conflict by just not getting involved even though I have something to say Um, or collectivistic conflict so I'm trying to be open to other people's ideas I'm saying maybe we should meet in the middle let's negotiate and we see is that when you're the lone weak link um, then you are more likely to use those individualistic ones that really just look out for your own goals and don't really um, look out for the goals of the team And that's problematic, obviously, in the workplace. We want people to value the team because so much of what we do is team-oriented work. And a lot of what we do is team-oriented work that comes into conflict with our individual-level goals. And so already we're showing that if you're that lone weak link, you're going to be valuing your own personal goals over that of the team. And that's probably not good for the company. And also we know that then in um, this study anyways, that translates into worse outcomes for that individual with their satisfaction with their peers their leader, how they felt um, emotions-wise, and whether they wanted to keep working with the team. We asked them about their motivation to work, and it was lower. um, And that was partially explained by how they engaged in conflict with their team. So is the motivation that people have to sort of basically handle conflict in that way coming from a place of, look, you don't want me, I don't care about you. And so it's sort of promoting this feeling of, you know what, it's me against everyone else and I'm, I have to fight for what's important for me and no one else seems to care what my situation is. So guess what? I don't care about other people either. Is that kind of the, um, like the theory behind why, um, having that low LMX quality, high relational separation has that sort of like, it's all about me, uh, impact. 
Yeah, that's absolutely what we think is you're sort of backed into this corner of like, well, clearly my leader doesn't care about me, so I need to look out for myself. They're not going to do it. Um, because what's really interesting is when they were in the low LMX condition, we didn't see these relationships if they, if everyone was in low LMX. So if the leader's just like, okay, that's fine to everyone, then you're like, oh, well, my leader's just quiet and weird. So I'm fine. Like, we're fine. And we don't see these relationships. But the moment that the leader starts treating at least one other person well, you now have this point of reference of like, well, I could have that relationship, but I don't. So I need to look out for myself because no one else is going to. Now, certainly we didn't like tap into their minds. And so I can't say for sure that that's what's going on, but that's at least what we think. And we feel like we have pretty strong evidence for it. That's so fascinating. I think it's really, um, I mean, I think it's great, obviously, to be able to control, like, if everyone's getting the Ks, like you said, it's not me, it's the leader versus it's me or it's something about our relationship um, that makes it different. I, I wanted to ask a little bit about what leaders can do. So if we're thinking about what can people take away from our conversation today and actively do to make a better work environment, what would you recommend? I think the first thing you have to do is be really conscious of the relationships that you do have because you're probably not day one leader. You've probably have some established relationships and really taking stock of why you have these relationships and what their qualities are. Who are you closer to? Who are you less close to? And first of all, you have to ask yourself, is this because of like surface level characteristics? Is this because that they're more similar to me or they like something um, that I like too? And if that's the case, your other followers are probably picking up on that as well. And so taking stock of that is step one. Step two is going out of your way then to manage those relationships that tend to be lower quality. Managers and leaders only have so much time and energy to invest in their followers. And so the uh, one of the original ideas behind LMX Theory in the first place was that it's a great way to direct your resources to those relationships that will be most rewarding. But as we can see here, the relationship direction can come from the leader. And if you are intentionally or unintentionally creating these people who feel like they're in the out group, then you're causing harm and you're not going to get as much out of them as you could have. And so then I think the next point of feedback for leaders is take stock of those low quality relationships and really try to invest in them whether that's through finding something that you both like finding something that you can um uh, build on that already exists. Um, it may be taking a chance on those low quality relationships to bring them up and make them feel like they're part of the in-group. And then if I can, I'd also like to say that there is some feedback for organizations because this is really effortful. This is a lot of time. This is a lot of energy and it often goes unnoticed or it's not part of formal evaluations. And so if organizations can find a way to incorporate how followers feel about their leaders into performance evaluations or can incorporate it into um, bonuses or salary even, then you're really putting your money where your mouth is and you're making sure that the leaders who do this are getting rewarded for it. And we know that people are going to do what they're rewarded to do. And so I think that's the main feedback is making sure that you're trying to have as high quality of relationships as you can with everyone. Now, the one caveat here if I can give you another caveat, yes, is that um, some turnover is desirable, right? If you have someone who's just not a good performer or just not a good fit, that might be okay. Now, this is 
stepping beyond my particular study, but if we look at the broader literature, it might be okay that you don't have a high quality relationship with someone who just can't do the job because then they'll eventually turn over themselves or you're going to have to turn them over uh, or fire them. And that's a lot harder to do if you have a high quality relationship, right? And so really taking stock of why these relationships exist and is there potential to get the performance you need out of this person, um, that's going to be really helpful from a leader's perspective. And then also, are you causing harm, right? Because at the end of the day, people are still people. They're not just cogs in the machine. And if you are causing mental distress or you're creating a situation where someone feels socially isolated or ostracized from their team, that can be literally physically painful. We know that social ostracism activates the pain centers of the brain in the same way that physical pain does too. And so I mean, I hopefully that gives you a dose of like empathy if you didn't already have it. Um, but that was a lot. I sorry, I can go on for days. No, that's um, awesome. But that's my feedback. We're we're uh, I think that's really great because we're all about the structural solutions to these kinds of uh, problems. And so the idea that the organization can do things to incentivize leaders to be more like introspective about who are they paying more attention to? Why is it actually performance related or is it that they have just haven't put effort or time into other relationships? So how can they grow those relationships? And then also for leaders to really think about, um, you know, what it is that they're doing in that same turn um, and make sure that if there is somebody that they're, you know, not building as high quality relationship, it's because it's not a two way street and not because like their way of the street has been closed off to that person. Um, But I do have a a quick follow-up on that, which is to ask, let's say you're in an organization where they don't do that, the leader is not doing a good job of that. Would you suggest that employees who are on the outside do things to sort of try to get themselves, so like find common ground with the leader or try to set aside time to talk with that person? Or in that situation, would you say, or does the research suggest that you're kind of just in a bad spot that's hard to get out of and you might need to restart or reboot on a different team or in a different organization to really drive that change? That's a great question. Um, I think certainly you want to try those upward influence tactics, right? You want to try to negotiate the relationship on your own terms as well. And it's a relationship. All relationships have two streets. And so if you're making the effort, maybe that'll be reciprocated. If it's not, then maybe it's time to think about rebooting, restarting on a different team or in a different organization. But I think you certainly should be able to try. Um, And you can try a lot of those different avenues, like you said, trying to find something that you like, trying to find common ground, or asking for opportunities, or more importantly, maybe showing that you can handle opportunities and highlighting that you can handle those opportunities, making a case for yourself. And then one other thing that we saw in our study, because the participants couldn't do anything to change their condition, right? They could try to create those relationships, but because the leader was following a script, they couldn't. The attempts always failed. But one thing that I saw that was really heartwarming in a lot of the teams um, that had those lone weak links, the other team members would stand up for them or would revoice what that person said. So the leader would give the positive feedback though is directed to the wrong person, but then they would give that feedback or the positivity to the person that deserved it. Right. And so I think another thing you could do if you're stuck in your situation, you can't change jobs, you can't change teams. You've tried to negotiate a new relationship with your leader is turn towards your team members and fight that urge to say, well, I need to just protect me and mine and, you know, forget the rest of you. 
um, turn towards your team members because they could be really good allies. And we know that coworker support is another really good predictor of your mental health and well-being above and beyond supervisor support or your relationship with your supervisor. So those are some choices and options if you're stuck in a bad situation. I think those are all really good advice. I'm glad to hear you mention coworker support because I do think it's incredibly important and something we don't always think about. So thank you for bringing that one up. Um, well, you know, we really love this topic and everything that you've shared and all the research that you're doing in this area. We'd love to hear if there's anything else you want to share with us before we wrap up uh, about yourself or your work. I know you have a bunch of awesome papers, <laughs> but anything you want to share with our audience? Well, thanks. I'm just excited to keep exploring how leaders impact follower health and well-being. Uh, we've got some papers coming forward um, on daily interactions, so looking in the field on that. And so I guess keep an eye out for that and um, reach out on Twitter or um, email. I'm always happy to talk about research or leaders or work. And you should probably plug your podcast as well. Oh, yeah. I should probably my podcast. Yeah. Listen to the Healthy Work Podcast. I care about how employees feel. Um, and I have a great co-host, Mariana Arvon. Um, and, you know, we're just trying to be as good as you guys. That's the goal. <laughs> yeah. I think we have a goal to be as good as you guys. So we're both uh, we're both trying to get to each other's place, which is probably a positive thing, right? We're both aspiring to, to be like people we admire. Um, so... Final fun question for you, Keaton. These questions are questions we think are fun, and whether or not you think it's fun is questionable. <laughs> but uh, here, <laughs> but here's your final fun question. So, what leader have you worked for who really made you feel you were a part of the team? So we were talking about that today. Have you ever worked for a leader that really did that for you, and why? I lucked out. It was my very first manager, Bonnie Brown, at Pizza Hut in Littleton, Colorado. I don't mind giving her name out because she was a phenomenal leader. Yay. Um, I had no business being a server at Pizza Hut, um, but she worked with me and made sure that like, you know what? You did spill pizza <laughs> on customers on your first day. That's okay. We're going to put you in the back to be a cook, but that's really valuable. And she always scheduled herself as like two workers, um, even though she could have just scheduled herself as one. And so, I don't know. She was a phenomenal manager and leader. Really made me feel like part of the team. And um, I hope she hears this. <laughs> That's amazing. Yay, Bonnie. Patricia, Aww. you know I'm going to uh, turn the tables on you uh, as well in a second. But that's so uh, that's so awesome. And, you know, Pizza Hut, I, I've worked as a server before, too. And that's a tough job. Um, people don't realize how tough that is. So uh, I'm glad that you had an inspiring manager in what ends up to be a tough role. Um Patricia, I feel like I know what you're going to say, but I'll ask you quickly what your thoughts are. <laughs> How do you know? Um, yes, I'm going to say Jill Strange, who hopefully is listening as well. She is like the best leader I've had at one of my a couple jobs ago. Um, and she, I mean, not only made me feel like a part of the team, but she was really good at like getting to know everyone, having those high quality relationships with people, doing um unique fun activities as a team for kind of bonding getting everyone to get to know each other so there was a lot of effort that I think honestly I think just comes naturally to her to just really create relationships um between herself and the team and the team members together that I think went a long way and really create a very cohesive team and honestly when she left the organization like it 
you could feel a difference. Not because, I mean, the rest of the team was amazing, of course, but, you know, she just really has such a big impact on um, creating those really high quality positive relationships. Yes. What about you, Katina? Go, Jill. Um, mine actually, I was thinking about this because uh, I made the question. <laughs> uh, and so I was thinking about this and I was thinking, um, a really good example for me would be Jay Janovix, who's also an IO. Um, I worked for him when I was working for SHL after they merged with Provisor. So he was Provisor and I was SHL and I ended up uh, coming under his team. And um, he would have like weekly calls with me just to check in and see like how my life was going. And like he really kept track of who I was as a person and who I was in my career and listened and responded. And when I told him that I was leaving consulting to go into academe, I expected that he was going to be kind of like, you know, not happy about it. And he was like, you know what? I am just so happy that you figured out like which direction you want to go in and that you're going to like, I'm just so happy you're like following your passion. I'm sad you're leaving our team, but like, I'm just happy for you as a person. I think this, this will be like, a really great time for you to explore this side of things in your career. And like, I just wish you all the best. And I was like, how nice. Like, um, so whenever I see Jay, I always think positively of him and I appreciated his leadership. Yay, Jay. Yay, Jay. Yay, Bonnie. Yay, Jill. <laughs> Yay, Keaton. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, this has been <laughs> such a great conversation and we're so grateful for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Keaton as much as we did. You can find out more about Keaton um, on his website for the Healthy Work Podcast. It's healthywork.substack.com. You can subscribe there or any podcasting software. Um, and we'll also add links to the show notes. And again, if you want to find us, you can find us on our website, workerbeing.com, on social media at workerbeing, or learn more about our community at workerbeing.com slash community. Thanks for listening. Thriving at Work is hosted by us, Dr. Patricia Grabarek and Dr. Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Mm-hmm.